Today I'm going to be closing out the book of Philippians, which we've been working through all summer. And in two weeks, I'll begin our next series in uh, the two Old Testament books of Ezra Nehemiah. We'll be preaching through that as a unit, which I'm very excited for. We've learned a lot through God's word uh, about faithfully and fruitfully advancing together in the gospel through the book of Philippians. And one of the major themes that, that we've uh, reviewed through the book is uh, progress, both with Paul and his partnership with the Philippian church. We all love progress, right? That'll depend on how you define progress. According to, 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 to Merriam-Webster dictionary, progress consists of a forward onward movement as to an objective or to a goal or gradual betterment. We like that, right? We want to see progress in our lives, our skills, our opportunities, our families, growing our marriages, development for our children. We want, we want progress in school, in our sports, in our hobbies. We want to see progress in our fields of, of study in college. We want to see progress in our workplaces, our careers, advancement, more achievement, dare I say, more money? What? It doesn't have to be awkward to say that having more money can be progress. These things are good. Now, according to this understanding, Everyone in the whole world wants progress in life then. So what separates us all from one another is either how we think of progress or how we think progress is achieved. For most of the world, progress is a matter of advancement in life, economically, socially, politically, and often it's accomplished in a dog-eat-dog way of life. Survival of the fittest. Only the strong progress. For those who observe a religion, progress in life is often separated from their religious observances. For Christians, however, as we've seen throughout the book of Philippians, there is no separation between our faith and our life. We don't progress in our lives over here and practice our faith over there. Our faith is our very life. A few weeks ago in Philippians 3, we saw that knowing Christ changes everything, right? When we see Jesus for who he really is, and we follow him, our whole system of life radically changes. The gospel changes everything. Our identities and our purpose are from him, by him, and for him. And so for Christians, progress is gospel progress. It includes 
growing in the image of Christ, both individually and collectively, as well as growing in our kingdom impact in the world around us. In other words, gospel growth or gospel advancement internally and externally. Gospel progress. What we'll explore today are the essential elements that fuel our gospel progress together. So maybe today is the first day you've ever been to church. Do we have what you're looking for? Do we have what you need here? Maybe you've just started attending church and you've been coming fairly regularly, but you're just not sure what it is that you need to stay on this track, on this path. Maybe you've been attending church for years, this church or, or other churches. Maybe you've been attending churches for years and you're still longing to discover what it is that you need to persevere well in this difficult life. Are you looking for true peace, joy, strength, stability? Are you looking to love and be loved? What do we really need to advance in this Christian life? What we'll see this morning is that God's provisions fuel our gospel progress. God's provisions fuel our gospel progress. So let's pray, and then we'll continue our study and close the book of Philippians. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Open the eyes of our heart now to see and behold marvelous things from your word. Help us to see and behold your beauty, O oh God, that by it, in the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would fill us today with light and life, what our souls are thirsting and longing for. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's read Philippians 4 verses 10 through 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having need, of having, of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Remember, this letter from Paul to the Philippian church is in one sense a missionary report. He's reporting back to the church. We looked at this at the beginning of our, of, of our uh, series. He's reporting back to the church regarding his circumstances, currently in prison. 
And in this closing passage, we see one of the great purposes for him writing this letter. He's expressing his deep gratitude for them in their support for him and his ministry. So he closes this letter in verse 10 by again expressing his joy in the Lord for their partnership, which we've seen time and time again through the book. He says, I'm so glad you were finally able to reach me through Epaphroditus, the messenger from the church. I always knew that you didn't forget about me. Now, we don't know what it was that hindered their support for a time, as we see here. But now at last, they reconnect, and in this, he rejoices. Now, lest the Philippians or we misunderstand Paul's heart and his purpose for rejoicing, he makes it clear that it's not about the resources provided to him. He says, not that I speak from want. Oh, no. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. An inside look into the disposition of Paul's heart. He says, I'm always content. It is not my circumstances nor material provisions that determine my contentment. My contentment is constant. He says, I know how to live on humble means, in poverty with little material provisions, or in prosperity with an abundance of provisions. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being full or hungry, having abundance or suffering need. I can do all things, he says, through, through Christ who strengthens me. Wow. So there's a secret to being content in all circumstances. Wait a minute now. Of course we need to know the secret of being content when we're poor. But what more do we need when we're rich? We have everything that we want and need, right? Yes, that's right, the world says and reinforces for us day after day. Just try to enjoy all the things you have. Get some more. Enjoy them and you will be happy. That's the meaning of life. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And God says, he who loves money will never have money enough. The full stomach of the rich will rob him of sleep. And elsewhere, that's Ecclesiastes 5, elsewhere, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Some, by longing for it, wander away from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. They fix their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, 
unto their demise. It's 1 Timothy 6. Paul would say, oh, you better believe there's a secret to contentment in all circumstances, in poverty and in plenty. And without this secret, you're not going to last. Verses 11 and 12 lays out the context of the secret. And verse 13 reveals the content of the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is a verse we see and hear all the time. Written on arms and legs, printed on jerseys and sneakers. I can do all things through Christ. All things. I can run a marathon. I can win a match. I can be a champion, achieve great gains. I can do anything, it says. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I can do all things. I'm going to win. That's inspiring. If that was the message of the book. I hate to be the dark cloud over your game day, but the theme of this book is we're going to lose. You're going to lose a lot in this life. We lose our youthfulness. We lose our health, our physical, mental, emotional well-being unravels. We lose dreams. We lose friends. We lose influence, status. We lose jobs, savings, financial stability. We lose our safety. Security, we lose relationships, we lose marriages, we lose loved ones, our parents, precious family members, young and old. In this life, we lose a lot until the day that we all lose everything. Naked we come in, naked we depart. Family, I do not say these words easily, especially this season for us. There has been much loss among us this summer. There is no quick fix, simple reminder, secret mechanism here. Paul says, I have learned this secret. You know what's behind his learning? He notes for us in 2 Corinthians 11, a snapshot of his life and ministry. 
many imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep sea. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And yet, through all this, he learned the most glorious secret to contentment in all circumstances, that is, Christ in us, the hope of glory. His secret is knowing Christ knowing the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Only in Christ can we have true joy in poverty and in prosperity because our joy is in the Lord, not in the riches the resources or the circumstances. Elizabeth Elliot, after her husband was killed for his faith in Ecuador, 1956, said, my secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. We referenced that earlier in the series. That's it. Family, contentment in hardships, suffering, misery, loss, is a miracle. It's a miracle. When you come to learn what God has done for us through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus, you will learn of God's greatest provision for us, his son Jesus Though he was rich, for our sake he became poor, that through his poverty we would be made rich in him. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is a miracle. He who was sinless took our sin upon himself on the cross so that we would have his righteousness be forgiven, cleansed of our corruption, and restored back to God. His death for our life, a miracle. Christ Jesus is God's greatest provision for our gospel progress. It is only through Christ in our union with him, that we can do all things. Now, all things is also grounded here in its context. That is, endure all circumstances in poverty and in prosperity toward the goal of advancing the gospel. All things missional. That is, it's 
the power and presence of Christ in us that equips us to endure all things for his sake and the world's sake. Amen? We need to know that. Right before he left his, 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 his precious disciples and ascended into heaven, he says, all authority on heaven and earth belongs to me, and I will be with you. Now go, advance the gospel, make disciples of all the earth. So, tomorrow, family, when you wake up, you find your inspiration in Christ Jesus. Be inspired by his love for you, his life for you, his mercies, his grace, his strength, and set out. You run that race. I'm going to live. I'm going to live. I can do all things. I'm going to live to make Christ known and loved regardless of my circumstances today. That's more fitting to the book. God's greatest provision for gospel progress is Christ, his power and his presence in us. Everything else is considered lost to Paul compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Pastor H.B. Charles once said, those who have God and other things will sooner or later come to find out that they have no more than those who only have God alone. We will lose much in this life, family, but to gain Christ is to gain all we will ever need. Amen? Let's continue reading verses 14 through 20 and see what else God provides for our progress. Verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, right after Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he says, yet I needed you. It was so good for you to be there for me, with me, in my troubles. 
You know, Philippian church, that from the start, as recorded for us in Acts 16, we looked at this at the outset of our series, the planting of the church there, our partnership has been unbreakable. It's been good for us. Together, he says, in giving and receiving. True partnership is a two-way street for Paul. He makes something very clear about church partnership. Everyone is built up. And once again, his posture of humility shines through here as he considers the church's interests over his own. He says, yes, I did receive that gift. Thank you. But I'm more excited about your blessings to come from your giving. You see that? Paul, Paul receives the tangible gifts. The church receives the intangible gifts. Physical and spiritual provisions of God abound. We know that this must be a spiritual profit to the church, the Philippian church, because Paul says, your gifts to me, they were a fragrant aroma, a spiritual gift to God. And then he affirms, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Family, this is no prosperity gospel. You give money to God, he'll give more money to you. Both Paul and we reject that lie. This is, it is more blessed to give than to receive theology. This is storing up riches in heaven theology. Longing for the true riches of God theology. The riches of his kindness his patience, the riches of his wisdom, his peace and joy, true riches. These are the riches of God that abound when we receive grace and extend grace. We receive from him and we give to others. And he meets all of our needs all of them. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul writes in Romans, of course he will to his beloved children. Now, notice what's going on here. This is important. The matters of giving and receiving are not merely on the horizontal level. It's not a linear work merely between us, but a triangular one for all of us. God first meets our needs, spiritual and physical, which flow through his son. I receive and you receive. We receive together. He gives, I receive. I give, you receive. You give, we receive. And the beautiful community of God in Christ is built up together. From God, by God, for God. All needs met 
we are filled, he is glorified. Hallelujah. To God be the glory forever and ever we sing. Amen. So, this is important for us. A second great provision of God is made very clear in fueling our progress. His church. The church. We need each other. We need Christ and his church to advance in this life together. We absolutely need both. Vibrant life marked by satisfaction, growth, peace, joy, doesn't exist without both of these great provisions of God in our lives. Christ and his church. His spirit dwelling in us by faith in Jesus and us dwelling in his church, living out our faith together. This is God's design for our life together. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It is beautiful that in the midst of great hardships, suffering, and loss, this season at Riverstone, God has filled us with the love of Christ so much to be eagerly caring deeply and tenderly for each other's needs. It's beautiful to see comfort being extended to each other by those who have been comforted. I can't tell you how many of you I've spoken with over these last three months who have also identified that through our pains together, God is strengthening our bonds. Hallelujah. It's beautiful. It is beautiful to see the generosity abound in our church in view of God's generosity towards us. Through your giving, God has multiplied blessings in and through our church. It's beautiful to see our care team expanding and meeting both physical and spiritual needs of our people and those in our community. Sometimes it's easier to give than to receive. Huh? I get it. It can be hard to ask or receive from the church. But this is how God blesses and provides for us. He provides for us through his church. This is how he meets our needs. Blessings abound for the givers, the receivers, and ultimately to God when we give and receive. 
It is beautiful to see how eager you all are to build each other up in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, your commitment to one another in small groups and intimate community. If you're not connected with others yet in our church, we want to guide you. Yes, we are in a season of of rebuilding some of our growth group ministries, sure, but we have avenues and opportunities for you to connect with others and grow in your community life here with us. As a matter of fact, this morning on the way out, you'll see flyers uh, on tables out there at the welcome desk with opportunities to plug into groups or, uh, or, or uh, events, gathering men and women this season ahead, families. I would encourage you to grab some and, t- and take a look. It is beautiful to see how eager our church is to support global workers and missionaries throughout the world. Like the Philippians with Paul, we have been faithfully supporting sent ones and global workers in powerful ways. I'm excited to see who else we're going to send among us. We're coming for you. And unless God's spirit raises you up first, (laughs) I'm excited for Annie in her second year in Jordan. She just left several weeks ago. Please be praying for her. For Danielle in the UAE, Tori in the Canary Islands, the Hayes in Holland, Livingston's and Moulton's in France, Joe and Cam in Philly, the Hamptons with Africa Inland Mission. Please remember them all in prayer. I'm excited to see us taking on supporting Brother Gerges serving in the Arab Peninsula this next year. Our support and to our brothers and sisters on the field is so important, family. Consider this reality as it pertains to our message. Many of you know that we have been supporting the outreach and discipleship efforts in the Middle East since 2016, working primarily in and through Lebanon, working with churches in Syria and beyond. You also know by now that war-torn Syria is no longer in the headlines, which means that global resourcing of the people there has stopped. Stopped years ago. Syria, just over 10 years ago, was incredibly prosperous. Incredibly prosperous. One of few countries in the whole world with absolutely no national debt. A great economy, completely self-sufficient, great education, free education. All the young adults that we came to know during our time out there, our years out there, these were recently graduating or, or, or just starting engineers, lawyers, doctors, professors, on track to become professors. And just like that, In war, they lose everything. 
They all live now in extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. And let me tell you, we have grown so much in our partnership with these precious brothers and sisters. We've learned what true joy looks like when you have nothing but faith alone in Christ. We learned what perseverance consists of in the midst of unspeakable hardships and suffering. The power of prayer in unbelievable ways that we needed to hear and learn and know. God has protected and provided for them in powerful ways. Every time we saw them, and even offline, when, at a distance, because we can still communicate, they would share with us stories after stories. They would share with us how in the middle of the war, they would be praying for hours and hours, days on end at times, as, as, as a united church body, with bombs dropping all around the church, devastating the streets around them. One time they were saying that they were praying in prayer and a barrel bomb came crashing right through the roof. They thought it was over until they went upstairs to discover that the barrel bomb land, just so happened to land in the church's water basin on the roof and somehow diffused it. Story after story, that's just one. Our first meeting out there, we met a young man about the age of 30 who was in one of our first, he was in our first young adult leadership development trainings that we conducted there. He just came to Christ a few months prior before we met him. His father was killed right before his very eyes in a most brutal way. It was clear the hand of the Lord was upon this brother. We developed a very close bond. And I remember the third time we went to see them to be with this group. I asked him right at the beginning, right with our first day when I saw him, excited to see him catching up on everything that's going on. I said, brother, how's the school of the book? It's a discipleship and academic school that they established in the middle of the war because the children's education for the whole nation has ceased for years at this point. So they started a, a discipleship school out of the church called the School of the Book. We actually contributed to some of their progress in the book. Brother, how's the School of the Book going? He said, oh, brother, it is no more, but God is good. What? What do you mean it is no more? He gestured. What? What are you talking about? It was bombed? Are you serious? When did this happen? When did the, um, a few weeks before. Wait, this just happened a few weeks? Brother, it's okay. God is good. Wait, what, what are you talking about? As you would likely respond, just, just, my, just in shock. Wait, this just happened a few weeks ago? What are you talking about? How did, who, was anyone in the building? Uh, yes, uh, me and uh, him over there. But it's okay, brother. 
God is good. Wait, what? You were in the building when it, when, when it got hit? What, what did you do? What happened? Uh, we crawled out. What? But brother, brother, he kept insisting, God is good. God is good. God is good. God is good, he kept saying. Contentment in all circumstances. You better believe they taught us far more than we could have ever taught them. This brother is now a lead pastor of a church outside a major city. And he recently wrote me, because we, we keep in, com in communication. This is his note to me. My dear brother, the ministry is going well. I see great fruits of the ministry, especially these days. And this is something that makes me very happy. And I am very happy to complete my work that the Lord gave me. But at the same time, there are great challenges and multiple problems all around me to hinder me from my ministry. People hardly live. Food is very expensive. Electricity is non-existent, even water. So life has almost stopped here. We thank God because we have hope. And we have a good shepherd who manages our needs. Please pray that we persevere in this work for the glory of God and that these fruits which I see are good and useful in the service of the Lord. Also, please, dear brother, pray that the Lord protect me and provide for every need. Word for word, his message. Family, tomorrow is not certain. But wherever we are tomorrow... What remains certain is that we need Christ and his church to persevere. Christ and his church to advance together in the gospel. God's provisions fuel our gospel progress, mainly Christ and his church. Amen? Paul closes his letter where he began, greeting the saints in Christ Jesus. Let's just read these final words, 21 through 23. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Family, we are saints in Christ Jesus. Set apart for him and his redemptive work in the world. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is what he purchased for us on the cross. Union and communion.
with him and each other. Amen? It is fitting to close this book and this service by participating in our communion together. The ushers can pass out the elements for those who didn't grab one on their way in. Family, this is called communion or the Lord's Supper because it was instituted at the Last Supper of Jesus before he went to the cross. And sometimes it's referred to communion because as we, as believers, this is a time for believers in Christ Jesus to remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to remember his love for us on the cross, to remember God's forgiveness of our sin by faith in Christ, to remember that we are eternally united to him and to one another. Amen? We remember Jesus who said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant purchased in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink of the cup of the new covenant together. Amen. Union and communion with Christ and each other. We need him and each other. Let's pray, family. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are God. Thank you that in the midst of a very difficult world and life, that in the midst of great hardships, suffering, troubles, and calamity, there is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God. Thank you that you are the one who says, anyone who believes in me from their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's what we want, Jesus. Fill us. Awaken faith among us, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Strengthen faith today by the power of your Holy Spirit as we cling to your love and your mercies and your graces. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with the joy of the Lord to be our strength. Heal us, restore us, fill us, complete us, and send us out to be agents of peace and reconciliation in this world, spewing rivers of living water light and life wherever we go 
that we would be filled with joy in this life together and that you would ultimately be glorified. Jesus, we pray for our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. Have mercy, Lord. Be with them. We hear their, their plight. We hear their cries, Lord. Meet their every need in Christ Jesus, we pray. Fill them today with a special joy and filling, Lord, that, they, that as they extend grace to more and more people, it would abound in thanksgiving to God, that the word of the cross would spread rapidly through that land. Protect them, provide for them. Lord, thank you for our unity with you and one another. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Have a blessed week. Now go run that race.